Hi, James. Ben, how are you? <laughs> Clearly out of practice. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I'm nervous, or I was nervous, actually. I was much more nervous the first time around, and this is our second time around because the first time wasn't going so well. <laughs> We have not podcasted in a while, and uh, yeah, you fall you fall out of practice. Uh, to Rusty, say the least. yes, yeah. but um, good to talk to you. This was my bat signal. I reached out mm. to you saying that we should talk. I I do have to express consternation with exploded fans. <laughs> who one, I love you. I appreciate you're still around, but two, <laughs> always blame me for when we don't record. As it, mm. it's not, it, it is a mutual decision here. Just to be clear. It is a mutual decision. In fact, the, the reason we haven't been recording is almost like uh, an underlying or an input almost into this into this podcast, I feel like, which is for both of us for a little while, it's just felt that tech hasn't been so compelling to talk about. There's nothing, whereas uh, before I would get on here with fire in the belly, ready to go on some of these topics, like it's just that it just seems to have shifted a bit, you know? Yeah, and it's funny because I think I probably really started to feel this when we first paused Exponent a couple years ago. And that, that one actually might have been more my, my responsibility than yours, to be honest. But it was because there's something about a podcast where you're talking for an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, you start, start to feel like you're repeating yourself a, a little bit. Right. And it's like, yeah, I, I don't like this feeling. Whereas there's, you know, if you're talking about some, you know, relatively minor news of the day, you, you could it's all relatively fresh right but so so i don't know I, I guess i felt it in the podcast before i felt it in the writing but it's definitely it's definitely a very tangible feeling in all in all aspects these days yeah i i was reflecting on this right before we jumped on because i knew this was going to be the topic and i i kind of framed it as like a question almost why don't we podcast about the automotive industry and it's not because neither of us are that interested in the automotive industry i think we both are like i'm a car guy i love cars it's just from a business strategy perspective the die is almost cast like the fates are set and it's not things interesting things don't happen and you touched upon this at the with your article uh, uh the, the beginning of the end i think it was it, it it's again it's not that interesting things don't happen in auto it's just that the extent to which uh, the game is afoot is much less the case and i think back to when we started exponent and it was there were people wondering about whether samsung was still going to knock off uh, iOS and Apple in the mobile space. And we've gone through ebbs and flows in our bullishness and bearishness on companies like Amazon and Google. And now it just it just kind of feels like the, the kingdoms have been created, the borders are established, and they have these interesting border skirmishes. But it, it doesn't feel like anything's really fundamental. Like there's, there's not one that's going to come along and take the other one out, you know? And I do have to say, James, just a compliment to you. Uh, really, I, I appreciate it. Uh, which is you, you. I, I know the first time we recorded. This is our second take. <laughs> you mistakenly called my article uh, the beginning of the end, and I had to correct you. Mm. And this time, you made the mistake again on purpose to give mm. me the opportunity to correct you, which is <laughs> which is fantastic because I do want to correct you. Mm. Uh, it, it, the beginning of the end was actually called the end of the beginning. Mm. And the reason I like this correction is mm. a lot of people do interpret it as the beginning of the end. And that was not my point with that article. The point with the article is 
the the foundations are now set and what is interesting going forward is going to be on top of those foundations right and, and you know in the case of the car to, to, to use your sort of the example once everyone sort of had a car that's when society sort of transformed where you had sort of the you know suburbanization and you had the building out of the interstate and you had the development of sort of national brands like which depended on hey if i'm driving on the interstate in my car I want to pull over and stop at a McDonald's because mm. that's a brand that I recognize and, you know, and, and I feel comfortable going in there, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and you had, you know, national sort of brands in, in consumer electronics because you, you, you were able to ship and stock all over, all over the country and you wanted to, you know, advertise on national TV during the football game. Like, like all these pieces are all interlocking and connected, but they rest on the foundation of everyone having a car. And and, and so to say the end of the beginning is not to say that innovation is over or that changes are finished. It's to say that actually the innovation and changes are only getting started. They're just they're they're less about sort of new tech and more about how does this actually transform society and and, and the way we live. And that was the the goal of that article. Mm -hmm. But the 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 purpose of this podcast and, and particularly what Stratechery was about. I mean, Stratechery in, in many respects has been about the rise of the big and consolidation of power of the big five tech companies. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I've read about other companies. I wrote about mm-hmm. you know, your business a couple weeks ago without talking to you for the record. <laughs> um, but that, that's been the general frame. And there's a sense where that story to your point has sort of reached reached its natural endpoint, and now it's like what happens beyond that or on top of that, right? And it's not to say that there aren't going to be super interesting things that happen on top of it. It's just like those those foundational pieces can almost be relied upon for whatever it is that comes next. Um, it's not going to be one taking out another. Uh, it was. It's also interesting because it, it, it this this also touches nicely on what you wrote about this week. Um, the death and birth of technological revolutions, and you were you, you, you framed the article around Carlotta Perez's really phenomenal technology, technological revolutions and financial capital, and she talks about how th- these revolutions, whether automotive or IT, like we're going through right now, go through four phases. There's a there's like a uh, well, th- there's the, a general eruption. That's it. The first one is eruption and frenzy, and that's considered the installation period and then there's this there's this crash this turning point where uh, where maybe a, a bubble a bubble happens and it bursts and there's this turning point but then it's not that 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 revolution is over it's just what comes next starts to look different and is actually more broadly deployed and uh, it, uh you have a synergy phase and a maturity phase and at the maturity phase that's when the next the next one starts to take over. It's super interesting. In fact, this thing is for me like catnip. It's almost like uh, it's almost like disruption looks within, and this is almost like it's almost like a fractal version of that from a theory point of view, where you zooming out and you're actually watching phase after phase take place and observing the patterns, um, observing the patterns that occur within. And it's funny, like also the way you describe Perez, uh, she sounds like she has a few of Clay's attributes in terms of curiosity and search for the truth. 
Oh yeah, I mean she's a she's amazing. Like she first I, I, when I wrote actually it was when I wrote the end of the beginning that she just emailed me out of the blue oh, and like so why to cool. have a phone conversation and, 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 oh. and like it and uh, and it was in it, it, it's yeah it, it's the most admirable sort of approach to writing and scholarship mm. in that someone wrote something that was tangential to what she wrote. There were some things that agreed or disagreed, and she really wanted to push and understand what I was saying because she wants what she, she knows that makes what she, what she says better. Mm. Right. And you right. go through her website and she's still out there all the time, debating, doing all these things. Like she was <laughs> like, like it, it's really, really admirable. And it's good to say it up front because I think th- here's the big question. You laid out sort of the four phases, right? And I think there's, you know, she wrote this book. It came out in 2002. I mean, she'd been doing scholarship in this area for, for many, many years before that. But this was sort of her seminal work. And it came out in 2002, which seems was the timing was so good because in 2002, everyone was like text over, right? Like it's hard to imagine today, but it was like a nuclear winter. Everyone mm. had abandoned San Francisco. You could <laughs> buy an air on chair for $5 uh, or, or maybe give it away, right? Uh, there was no venture capital happening h- hardly at all. Mm. And because everyone had gotten so burned and obliterated in the dot-com era, I was like, yeah, th- this is all like it was all made up. It, like it was, it was all fake. And here she comes with this book saying, look, here is the natural way that these things come out, which you, again, to your point, you have this eruption phase where you're just trying to get it to work, right? Mm. Like how, like how does this stuff actually, what, what could it be used for? Like it it barely even functions. And that's like the early, you know, sort of, sort of, sort of computing era. Then the second one is to your, this sort of frenzy where, oh my God. Imagine if you could build an information superhighway, right? Like, uh, like you get all the and you get all the cliche words yeah, yeah. and all these sorts of things, and you could do it anywhere. <laughs> oh, I know what I should do. I pet should food build delivery. I pet food delivery exactly. Pet food delivery. Uh, imagine that anyone could just get pet food from anywhere, and then <laughs> pets.com becomes the poster child for this mm. entire era where. Can you believe this company IPO'd and raised all this money? And and what a, what a stupid idea yeah. that was, right? Right. And, and, and who and would put all, that credit card details in the internet anyway? I know. I mean, this is absolutely <laughs> absurd. And, and you know, and they're going to sit around and wait for like they could just drive to the store and buy a buy a bag of pet food. This is stupid. Mm. And then what was it? 2016, 2017, like Chewy.com uh, gets yeah. gets gets acquired. Uh, for five six billion dollars, like in retrospect, too too low of a price, and mm. no one cares because it's so obviously the future, right? Like, of mm. course you're going to order your pet food online, like, like, and and there's this, and and so in 2002, like you you think about that, like, wow, how prescient to at the time where people are the most right. pessimistic and the most down to come out and say, actually, this is normal. This is the way these things sort of develop. And that's why her like her book as su- as a real cult following in tech in general like it's really because of one A and one B with with Professor Christensen you know disruption because to your point one is about how how can new companies challenge these sort of incumbent companies and what should incumbent companies do to sort of defend against it the other one is where are the broad big picture trends that are happening and it it really seemed like Mao she she nailed it. The 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 funny thing about the parallel with Professor Christensen, and I think perhaps where we might take the remainder of this conversation is 
there is definitely I have an immense amount of respect for folks who can develop these theories. But it doesn't mean that just because you develop the theories that you're actually the best at applying the theories. And it's always hard to apply them when you're living them. Like that's one of the things that I've realized about disruption. When you're in the middle of it, it can actually be really challenging to see the signs. And like, obviously, you want to like the more application and the more practice you have, then the better you get. But it's interesting to me because she she uh, effectively your article was almost like a bit of a disagreement and it's not that anybody it wasn't it didn't feel like oh I, we're definitely here and she definitely thinks we're there but it felt like huh uh, Perez thinks that we're only now just entering the golden age and you make a pretty compelling case that actually maybe that happened post dot com boom and uh and that uh it's this just looks different to the ones in the past yeah, so the, the, there's sort of like three questions about is her theory right? Number one is the theory just doesn't apply anymore, right? And, and, mm. and you know, th- we, we'll put that out there. I don't think either of us think that or, yeah. or, or are going to argue that, but just to sort of put that out there. <laughs> Number two is her argument, which is – and this is, you know, a little bit of pushback on her, which is she kind of keeps moving the goalposts. In that, oh wait, the, the 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 Great Recession comes along. She's like, oh well, that was actually part of the bubble. It's actually a two part bubble, a- and and now we're going to enter the golden age. And then today, she's like, well, okay, we haven't entered the golden age yet, so maybe COVID is actually part of this. And then now we're going to really enter the golden age. And in her general pushback is, you know, you, you go back to the car and suburbanization, which is this idea that. The car, the car transformed how we organize society, and governments responded, and, and government was transformed. Right in the case, of the you got much more centralized government, especially in the post sort of World War II era, and you had you know the the as you had these national brands, and you had a sort of a national government, and it was this sort of synergy. I mean, that's the word she uses. It was this sort of synergistic relationship, and then these brands and companies wanted to go abroad. And meanwhile, the U.S. is building a sort of Pax Americana and like making the world safe for, you know, quote unquote, safe for democracy and also safe for American corporations to <laughs> sort of go anywhere. And <laughs> and her point is like that hasn't happened, particularly from the political perspective. Like how <laughs> has government changed and adapted to this new era? And she's waiting for this government adaptation and a societal adaptation to happen. And because she, and she, she's made a compelling case that oh, this should be more about like green and changing the way we live. And because that hasn't happened yet, she thinks that we're not yet in the synergistic phase. And I'm not sure. And she might be right. Just to be super clear, like this is like it, to your it, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to say mm, for sure. Right. But I think there is a case where her theory was right, and she's just missing some of the indicators yeah. about about what about what has happened. I, I, I almost feel, uh, as I was reflecting on it, that she's almost applying this normative kind of lens that the golden age has to be positive, whereas I, f- I feel like this this, syner- this approach of synergistic and just in terms of how people's lives have changed, like, they had changed pretty fundamentally before COVID. Like, y- you think about the comparison with the automobile and, like, you drive to the shops to, like, go get your goods or whatever in suburbia and yes, the, the shift in terms of where people live has certainly taken longer to take effect and COVID might have accelerated that. But we were getting things delivered based on pressing a button on our phone and it turning up at our house a day or two later, long before 
March of 20, Feb of 2020 happened. Um, I, I just, I, and it also speaks to me to be the, the, this, like where we started, like there's a, there's a reason we're not interested in the automotive industry. It's, it's just that it's not because there's not interesting innovation happening, but from a strategy perspective, the game's played out, the game's mostly won. And yes, there are interesting players coming along like Tesla and electrification. And I think that's really interesting, but I, I almost feel like she has this perception of this normative perception of the, what the golden age is supposed to look like. And I think you present a really alternative uh, interesting alternative hypothesis that maybe things are just a little bit darker this time around and it it doesn't always have to be this but i mean i don't know governments governments taking advantage of technology we just we just came off four years of a president that went direct to the people bypassed all the political gatekeepers in order to get elected it it feels to me a little bit like government's been taking advantage of that technology all right well we could go in two directions here because uh, i mm. think i can make the case why she's right and we're mm. now just really getting an insulation phase i wrote the opposite case which is mm. actually we're much further along than it appears so which one which one should we do first i i think let's go with let's try why she's right first let's let's really suspend suspend uh suspend it and like let's go in and uh, like i think when i say suspend it suspend perhaps our initial impressions as to actually she's wrong let's assume she's right she developed it she's got it right and like we're going into the golden age only now so here's here's the reason why i think she might be right and this ties back into this idea of the end of the beginning and the automobile mm. which is it really is only when the foundations are in place that true broad base transformation can happen or right, the, the GM and Ford and, and uh, Dot, you know, Chrysler, they were established in the 1950s. That didn't mean the automobile era was over. It meant the automobile era was was only halfway over. Because mm -hmm. now, once that's in place, you can transform society. You can have the rise of suburbanization. You can have the build out of the interstate. You can have the develop these national brands. All those things. I just listed and the the similarity and alignment to today is that okay now we have mobile set it's iOS and Android now we have the cloud set it's Amazon and, and Azure and, and and Google and now we have this sort of general framework you know like SaaS is becoming relatively turnkey right there's not to discredit mm -hmm. startups in the space but it's kind of like people know how to build these sort of new companies and and now we're just going to come out and build out all these sorts of things. And and the reason why COVID could actually be part of the turning point is maybe you are underrating how people live and work. Like instead of living in the suburbs and then driving into the city to go to work and then driving home at night, what if everyone does start really working from home and they start sort of scattering and not being centered around the, the, these particular places and, and their decisions about how they live their daily life is distinct from where they work. And, and there's sort of the separation and that separation is only possible because we've had this build out of core technology to sort of make it possible. And, and, and in this view, the, the the transformation over the next you know 20 30 years is going to be profound because we had sort of the installation in place to have these these enabling technologies for it to happen and and and, and like i mean it's a i can talk myself into this argument right mm. like like where particularly cuz i think the point that she makes that is underappreciated 
is these technological revolutions are are there there's difference between revolutionary technology and technological revolutions revolutionary technology is like this amazing mm. new capability and concept she uses plastics as an example where plastics was a revolutionary technology that enabled all sorts of new things but it didn't fundamentally change society technological revolutions change society and in this case you know to change society means to change how we live and work and to have like to use your example of delivery to have something like doordash or Uber Eats or like Amazon fully built out where they're actually doing their own deliveries. That depends on mobile. It depends on the sort of couriers and delivery drivers being able to access anywhere, people being able to order from from anything. Like everyone has to have the tech in place for that stuff to sort of happen. And that's only really happening now. And now COVID gives a push to give it an acceleration and the way we live and work and all aspects of our life are going to be different because of the tech that's been established. I guess then it starts to come down to a definitional thing. Like I, I, as I'm listening to the argument, I'm like, okay, if, if she defines the 1950s as when, uh, like if the 1950s is an important point in time at, uh, for when she was talking about, um, the, the automotive or, or the automobile, I'm kind of curious as to what the adoption rate was of the automobile at that point in time and then looking at it in terms of like the equivalent, which to my mind now is the smartphone. The smartphone is like the equivalent of the automobile. And uh, I, it, it is a compelling argument, like the foundational building I know, blocks. Like the, when you're talking through it, it's like, yeah, this makes total sense. It is, it, and and like the thing that the thing that concerns me a little bit is that it's and and this is I guess the the point that we started with and how you can break either way is it's just so hard to like break it, it, when you're living through it to like figure out it, uh, like whether these things are whether these things are just a little bit more. Uh, discontinuous because like the lived experience doesn't neatly follow a curve um that it's that i guess that's just the challenging part um uh and i and that yeah that's the challenging part well i think i think the counter the the reason why to wonder if we're actually further into this interesting phases than it is is exactly what you said you put your finger exactly on it which is if you assume that the golden age is always golden, then you're you might miss stuff happening on that's not golden, right? That's bad. Mm. And here I think it's actually useful to look at China, which is you think about how technology has influenced and impacted. I think you see a high level of synergistic relationship between, say, government and organization of society and technology in China, where the 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 technology has been leveraged for things like surveillance, for things like censorship, for the sort of limiting of dissent in a way that is part and parcel of the way sort of the government wants to run and operate society. And, you know, and it's definitely possible that, you know, this happens at different phases. I think one of the things that that Perez observes is that the Europe sort of broke through the 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 great depression era turning point in the 1930s right in like germany like th- their build up in the 1930s was very mm. much a synergistic sort of 
cooperation between the government on one hand and the sort of mass industry, mass, um, what am I looking for? Like assembly line manufacturing, uh, you know, capabilities on the other, they were, it just wasn't a, you know, it wasn't what we would call a golden age. And uh, it, whereas the U S sort of took longer to sort of like snap into that. And, and I think there, there could be an analogy there to sort of to, to, to today. And, yeah, I mean that also makes a lot of sense. It it like it's it speaks to me to yeah that this normative it, it feels like she has this view of like life has to be better as a result, and it doesn't necessarily. And maybe this is where the model is like actually accounting. Maybe that's where the model. I mean, this is what Clay would say. Like, where's the anomaly? And it sounds like she takes a similar approach. Where's the anomaly? Let's seek out the anomaly. The anomaly makes this better. There's this assumption that normatively life gets better. It's golden. And I I like this approach of like, okay, if it has to do with like one society adopting it and creating this synergy between uh, uh, industry and government, well, that you've just made a pretty compelling case for like how that's how that's happening and how it's being deployed. And it's definitely creating a very different style of society uh, inside of China to what the lived experience is of the rest of us outside of that. The other thing is it's just to me, um, the green energy thing as like her, her standard of like life gets better. And she paints this, like everybody's living with green energy. It doesn't feel to me like that technology necessarily connects as uh, as an important and obviously from the perspective of cutting greenhouse emissions, etc., it's an important thing to do. But in terms of it connecting to the the tech giants and where we've come from, it doesn't feel like a necessary enabler or a or something that falls out as a result. It doesn't feel like it's necessarily part of the ecosystem. What is interesting, though, is like. Uh, one of the one of the markers for the maturity phase is, as we talked about, like the, there's this possibility that the next thing is going to come along. And after the auto, it was the IT, and after IT, I, again, it's it's yes, there are a lot of people that have a lot of money betting on the fact that it's crypto, and they love this narrative because it, it it stands to make them a lot of money if they're right. But I can easily see how green technology is absolutely imperative as part of crypto. As you watch China kick all of the Bitcoining miners out of China right now, simply because it's using up too much energy. Well, I think there's a, a lot of things going into that decision. But in present defense, I think the green thing, it's not just like, making solar panels or or or, or windmills it, it it's and i think i think actually she has a labeling problem because you call it green it's like just it's like the the the, the name is too easily misinterpreted mm, okay i think what she's getting at is people changing fundamentally changing how they live a- and this idea where for example if you're no longer sort of driving to work that is that that's a that's a green change, right? You're 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 polluting less. You're 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 spending more time in your local neighborhood. You're changing how you live, or if you are renting more stuff, right? Because you have these platforms that make it possible to rent something instead of buying it. That is, you know, resources are being used more efficiently instead, you know, instead mm. of overproducing, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I think like the w- when you think about it as being more trans about being transformative in how we live and mm-hmm. less about like you know re- re- replacing power plants i, I think it, it, it again it, it it's a a bad name in some respects because i think it, it makes you think about yeah. the wrong thing 
Oh, no. Even this, though, I I think we just need to be careful. Again, the lived experience and anchoring very heavily in the present. It's easy. I mean, you're like a trailblazer. You moved to Taiwan and you did this. And I work in the technology industry, which is obviously a big part of this, uh, a big part of this conversation, and our listeners do too. But it's also, I think we need to be careful not to fall into the trap of assuming that everyone all of a sudden is going to be working from home. First of all, it's not immediately clear how much of that is here to stay once COVID eventually gets brought under control beyond tech. I mean, there are certainly a range of jobs where that's absolutely not going to be the case as well. Like there are certain things that can only still be delivered in person or required service industry or, you know, those type of in-person experiences. And you're not going to be delivering those from home. So I, I, I certainly see the point. But even that, I feel like we are... We're in the early innings of seeing the after effects of COVID. Let's see how extensive it is and of, of what, uh, uh, even for places like tech, how much of it ends up sticking. It's a, it's a really great point. It's so easy to over-index on our you know, very privileged white-collar sort of existence mm. f- for sure. And, and what I think the other, th- the, the sort of more dystopian, maybe this is a bit of a transition, the interpretation of that is someone has to actually deliver those meals. Someone has to actually deliver those packages. And that is actually how this revolution is felt by a good majority of, of the population. And, and, you know, those aren't always great jobs, right? And, yeah. you know, and again, but that, that sort of leads into your point. It's not always normatively a, a good thing like like even if we assume that it's this later interpretation and changing how we live for people like us is very pleasurable and nice and for people who are scrambling to deliver meals is maybe not so fun and nice that's a good example where actually maybe it was better to work in a factory or to work on you know have mm-hmm. a solid blue collar job that you worked at your whole career and then you you know you left work work was over you wouldn't play in your softball league you had your family you went to church like th- like you could definitely argue this sort of uneven gig sort of economy is an example of even if her prescription is right the outcomes are not always necessarily normatively better for everyone Right. I mean, there's just this assumption. I mean, uh, <laughs> to zoom right out, like there's this assumption that you go through these cycles and everything is always better as a result. I remember listening to a really interesting uh, anthropology talk when I was back in Cambridge. And it's this guy who found these um, tribes out in, um, uh, I think they were in Africa. Um, I could be wrong about that. But the, the, the point of what he was saying stuck with me, which is there's just this assumption that as human beings get older, our blood pressure goes up and that's just a natural part of aging. And one of the things that was super fascinating to me is he found these tribes that just had refused to integrate into modern society and he studied them. And it's really interesting that people who were older in these tribes that hadn't taken place in any of these revolutions whatsoever their blood pressure stayed exactly the same the whole way through and again the normative aspects of this where things are always better and i mean even if you look back through the automotive era like uh, is everyone better off than the, the era before that and you think about some of well a lot of what people experienced going through the industrial revolution that sounded pretty rough too um so maybe maybe the normative stuff is where she's getting tripped up well, we should come back to this because I think it's a really important question and point about 
things getting better, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so let's remember to come back to that. Mm. But the, what's the what's the what's the alternative interpretation where we're actually sort of well into the the deployment phase? I, I think it, it's interesting to look at China and to wonder. You know, we we fretted on this podcast like let's be careful that we don't go down that route, you know, because technology, you know, it's, it's a centralizing force. That's always been one of the core, especially the internet. When you have no friction, people had this vision of this sort of fully distributed flora, uh, flora, flora of, of all, all these different websites and, and everything sort of being relatively equal. And, and that's not actually what happens when, when you have no friction, the, the gravity of the centralized sort of players becomes overwhelming and it sort of becomes this virtuous cycle where the, the more centralized something is, the more overwhelming that centralization is to everything sort of in its ecosystem. And, and you know, this is aggregation theory and you end up by controlling demand, by getting all the customers in one place, you pull on, you know, supply and the things they're interested in, you get more people coming on and, and you end up with the, these massive companies that, that you, that you have now and it, and implicit in this, is that the temptation to leverage that centralization, particularly from a governmental perspective, may just be completely irresistible. And the only question is mm. how efficiently you do it. And you think about something like the Patriot Act, you like which which it should be noted, if you think about the timing, came kind of right after the dot-com bubble mm. era. Mm-hmm. And again, the motivation was, was, was 9-11, but the timing kind of winds up where government looks over at this technological capability this fact that all this data is flowing through just a couple of places. And if they can get Google and Yahoo on board, if they get AT&T on board, suddenly they have this ability to view and tap into the information of billions of people, or, or at the time probably hundreds of millions, but like all, all over the world. And that happened. It's a real thing that happened. And people look back at, at, at sort of the, the revelations of that as sort of like a side note of history. But it was a fundamental transformation in the way government interacted with people, with society. And that kind of seems – that sounds like synergy to me. It's funny. Like as uh, – like to give some anchoring to this, like as you're talking, I'm reminded of John Perry Barlow's A Declaration of, in, of the Independence of Cyberspace. And he, he starts out, governments of the industrial world, you weary giants of flesh and steel. I come from cyberspace, the new home of mind. On behalf of the future, I ask you of the past to leave us alone. You are not welcome among us. You have no sovereignty where we gather. You have no elected government. Oh, sorry. We have no elected government, nor are we likely to have one. So I address you with no greater authority than that with which liberty itself always speaks. I declare the global social space we are building to be naturally independent of the tyrannies you seek to impose on us. You have no moral right to rule us, nor do you possess any methods of enforcement. We have true reason to fear. It's it's like like as you're that's where the internet started and what you're describing seems uh, like as I read that, that just doesn't sound true anymore. I mean, and you think about it, the problem with that declaration is that at some point the internet has to touch the real world. And right. China did this explicitly where they built out this great firewall and they did it because there was like three entry points to China when they started and they and they just controlled those and looked at everything that went over the wires. And obviously it's become much more pervasive and a much larger sort of apparatus at this point. But 
the fact of the matter is at some point there are wires <laughs> there are like there's fiber optic cables like there are tubes and mm. <laughs> the patriot act was the same thing where did they go to they went to the hardware level and, and that's it and, and, and that's what they did and, and then and then you fast forward to sort of like you know 15 20 years later and you look back and, and part of this i didn't make it explicit but this story was part two to writing about facebook's political problems and this this sense that facebook is the holdout right and, and, and maybe it's because it's still founder run or whatever it might be but this it's idea that everyone else has bent to our will and you haven't and you're going to be brought to heel and, and you, you're you're going to censor more information you're going to to get a hold on the the populace or else Right, and, and that's it's a very tangible sense that's come across from Congress for for a while now, and of course their hands are tied. You certainly get the sense that, but for the First Amendment, like there would be significantly more government control over what is allowed to be said online, and because the First Amendment exists, it has to all be implicit. And you have this this situation where it's sort of broadly understood what the government and the media wants Facebook to do. And they're going to whack them over the head until mm. they, until they do it. And we look at it and say, Oh, where's the synergy? The government can't tell Facebook what to do, but to what extent is Facebook and, and, and Twitter not actually doing what the powers that be want them to do? They are It's it just all because of the, 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 the vagaries of us law, mm. again, particularly because of the first amendment, it's not explicit, but, if you squint, it sure looks like it's happening implicitly. And again, this isn't a normative statement. This isn't a, we can have a separate discussion about misinformation. This isn't a normative statement about whether controlling misinformation is good or bad. It's just a, a statement about what is happening. And if you squint and you talk about misinformation and fact checking, it looks an awful lot like censorship and propaganda. I mean, and I, I think to your point about the First Amendment is just making things look a little slower here in the U.S., like the the very balkanization of the Internet. And then this is not just the U.S. and China. This is India and all these other countries. And they're putting more and more restrictions on just like exactly what you just like exactly what you described, like um it's coming now in Australia. Apparently, the deputy prime minister of Australia's daughter got attacked by Twitter trolls and Australia is gearing up for a really big push on this. Like it happened in India where uh, the Indian government didn't like what uh, Twitter was posting. And I'm pretty sure they arrested a whole bunch of local t or threatened to at least correct me yep. if I'm wrong, uh, arrest a whole bunch of Twitter employees until they succumbed. And it's not fun, but that's exactly what will happen. It's like, yeah, it, it feels like that's what's happening all around the world. Yeah, and, and 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 again, I think it's easy to. This is where the normative point is super important. You you have to look at the facts on the ground. The government is country after country. In China, it's super explicit. The government is absolutely in control, so it's very easy to see. There's no one like really debates it, right? But in all these other countries, a weakened, more pathetic version is happening. Like like and and even in the U.S. Again, the U.S. It's the most. It's the least sort of convincing in a way again in part because the first amendment in part because that that sort of borrow sensibility still is still in tech but this idea that information ought to be controlled 
people ought to be told the right thing. These tools ought to be leveraged to control, you know, what people see and think and do is it, it, it feels irresistible. And, and whether that happens by fiat uh, no, no pun. Okay, see, Bitcoin ruined the word fiat. Whether it, whether it happens by fiat or whether it happens by like we're just going to leverage the the, the media and and the and the sort of broad based you know sensibility about what it, what ought to be done to make you do it yourself. It, it still doesn't change the fact that the same thing, to your point, is happening in country after country after country. And India is a great example here, where it, it, it's sort of a middle ground that that lets you see the spectrum. Even and that the spectrum as a whole is is moving in the same direction, and that like I go back to that declaration. I tell you where that does feel true right now, where it feels like that same kind of cyberpunk ethos is is taking hold, and that is like in the crypto community. It's like, and it's it's like a it's a technology that feels orthogonally opposite to all this centralization that's taking place. And it's decentralizing it, and uh, I, I again, like maybe it's just playing into playing into uh, the the lived experience right now. But it feels like the seeds of something new that feel uh, feel very different to the maturity stage, and also just watching the the capital markets. And it's not to say that the capital markets is a perfect indicator of this. Like I'm sure there are plenty of uh, times where people have invested in technology where it hasn't uh, it hasn't taken off, but it has that same kind of uh, frothy feeling that you got at the start when, um, like, like you're in the '90s. It feels like uh, like the way the capital markets are evolving towards uh, cri- the crypto space feel very similar to what it was like living through tech in the '90s. Yeah, I mean that, that that's one of the big reasons why you know Perez's book is sort of a lot of people have are, are thinking about it or is because if i'm right and we're actually we're established and there has there is this sort of synergy forming and you, i think you mentioned this earlier in the podcast but the the election of trump and the fact he sort of could sort of like take over the republican party and win an election by virtue of going straight to people right, right. By, by not being selected by the party insiders or whatever it might be that that is all part and parcel of this as well. If you're completely changing how leaderships are selected, that is itself synergy between government mm. and technology, right? Again, it's a it's a different twist on it. It's not what you would think of, but it it it's it's very much it doesn't change the fact that it's a momentous sort of shift. Oh, and by the way, you know, there's certainly an aspect where Trump was a critical part of this sort of imposition on tech happening. Like no, no one was imposing on tech to do anything before 2016. It, 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 like there's a clear yin and yang here <laughs> that sort of go back and forth. But again, that, that that only makes the point that this pressure on tech, if it, it was in response to the election of someone whose election was predicated on the on changes tech. wrought by the internet, right. it like it, it is all internet rot. It, it is R O O U G H T, not R O T. It's it's this synergy. Like there is synergy happening. It's just synergy that looks a lot different than than sort of the last version, right? And that that's kind of that's kind of where I landed as well. Well, okay. So the crypto thing is is very interesting, and I, I think this is because the, the big question then. To, to balance these two points is is crypto a revolutionary technology or is it a technological revolution 
Like that's kind of the question, right? Because if we're just entering this sort of golden era of the IT revolution broadly, then maybe crypto is like plastics, right? And crypto is one of those things you have to leave behind the specifics because mm. it's so easy to get stuck in, oh, it's used for ransomware or it's used for drug deals yeah. or there's scams or, you know, that, it's just JPEGs on the internet. That oh, sounds, all. sounds like, that does sound like the 1990s internet. <laughs> well, you know, just, I mean, we'll make the optimistic case in a moment. But I can no. understand why people are skeptical. And people are like, oh, crypto has been around for 12 years and like, what are the actual consumer use cases? And but that's kind of the point, right? Like when when the internet had like it, it took a long time, it took a lot longer than people realized for it to become sort of something meaningful. And mm. there's just this fundamental fact: it, like if the whole point of the internet was about abundance and the fact that, and that was the core thing, we had mm. no friction, you had total abundance, and that's what drove centralization. It. It's like something that introduces scarcity where there can only be one of something or there can be a defined amount of something, but that something also can be distributed friction free, can have zero marginal cost, can be spread anywhere. Like it seems foolhardy to say that is not important and will not be meaningful. Again, this is even before we get to the question is it a technological revolution or revolutionary technology? It's clearly. At a minimum, revolutionary technology. Right. Like it's just again, it's sort of an unsatisfying answer because I'm not giving you specific use cases yet. But it's this idea, like oh, but, just the core idea, is so. But like you think about everything that is valuable in human society, it is fundamentally predicated on scarcity, and the idea, like like. Uh, we are ill-equipped for this world of, like, mentally for this world of abundance. Like, we just, we're just not, uh, we're not well suited to it. But everything that's valuable, like real estate, the reason real estate is valuable is because of scarcity. The, 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 the everything, like, so, uh, uh, whether it's art or whatever it might be, and we're in this world of abundance. And to bring it back down to, to bring it back to something that humans have been able to wrap their heads around, uh, or, 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 eh, or, or humans have been able to operate with being able to just like what you said take advantage of the zero distribution while reintroducing the idea of scarcity in this otherwise i mean just because it's been possible to copy there's this limitless abundance it is incredibly powerful and the other thing to think about is the court like the initial use, uh, one thing I used to always write is, why do I like to write about newspapers and why do I like to write about the, the media? And it was because, well, this is the this is the most obvious use case for the internet. But if you really understand what's happening, you can see how the internet is going to impact lots of other industries, right? And so, what happens when you have zero distribution costs, zero duplication costs, and you know, ge- geography be- is no longer a constraint? Well, <laughs> these business models get obliterated, you know, and, and the entire way of how you build a business goes from being deep vertically in a geographic space to having a niche in like a very broad, horizontal, huge addressable market, right? Like that. That's sort of the the core idea behind Strictly's business model is this idea that I can have customers all over the world and, and it can be sort of specialized, special, can be specialized in niche. So that was a way to think about it. And we've seen that happen where, you know, once that principle starts applying to music or starts applying to beds or starts applying to taxis or whatever it might be, it becomes very transformative. 
the thing about crypto is people are like, what's the use case? Is all they, you know, they're trying to make a currency. It's like, well, yeah. Like, what is, if you think about scarcity, what's the most obvious application of scarcity? A currency. It's money. Like, yeah, cur- yeah. That's right. And, and, and now, this is not to get into a debate about what is a currency, what is money, just the in a big picture. If we were building the information superhighway because of the core ten the core idea of the internet is that stuff spreads for free. Like that makes sense. If the core tenet is stuff can be scarce yet also spread for free, what is something that we want to have be able to spread very easily, yet also be able to to know exactly how much of it there is? It's money, right? Like there's a it's it's obvious why crypto is starting with money. It doesn't follow that everything crypto related will be money related just as didn't fall that everything information related is going to be newspaper related. And I, I think that right. that's, and just cause we haven't seen it yet. I, I don't think is dis dispositive dispositive about, about it, its potential. Like the nineties, when it came to the internet, really the only stuff that made sense was newspapers online. Right. And, and, yeah. and all these other applications, you built them up like, Oh, actually that didn't all work. And yeah, people are trying to build applications of crypto and probably most of them aren't going to work. It's like, ah, oh, it's a crappy use case. You know, it's hard to use. You have to look out 20 years, 30 years, because mm. that's how long it took. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're building up to a bubble. Like we're building out the fundamental infrastructure and, yeah, it's funny, those newspapers building out their sites online because that's what everybody thought they were doing. They were sowing the seeds of their own disruption somewhat. And maybe there'll be a, maybe that's what happens here. Like the, the early people who adopt crypto are going to shoot themselves in the foot, not thinking, oh, we've just got to adopt this new technology because that's what's cool right now. And it turns out actually this thing is fundamentally disruptive to what it is they do too soon to say but like being in this early phase there's going to be a run-up it feels like we're on the start of that curve and then there's going to be a big crash and the big crash isn't going to be uh uh, this thing isn't valuable or this thing isn't going to reshape society in fact it's like the pause the breath that everybody needs to take before the thing actually becomes super valuable and society transforming well i think that's that what's going to happen though is and I think we have a while to go because it will run until everyone starts believing in it. Oh, crypto really is the future. I got to mm. dive in. And then it will crash. <laughs> and mm. then everyone is going to say, yeah, this was all BS to start with. What were we doing? Mm-hmm. We were buying JPEGs online. And, this and, is, like, what were and we And that's thinking? when Amazon starts. Well, I mean, to be clear, Amazon did start before the dot-com bubble. But that's when right. that's when it emerges and, and builds right. up. And yes. You're right, exactly. And so if you th- if this model is right, and everyone in crypto sort of wants it to be right. It's like, be careful what you wish for, because everyone's like, oh, no, 2017 was the crash. It's like, no, I, I think that no. was, yeah, that was, it's not, no it's way. not a, it's not a true bubble until like the Everybody entire world is in rapture yeah. and everyone the, the, believes yeah, in yeah. it. And, oh, and, and like, it becomes, and it becomes systemic where it actually, the dot-com bubble provoked a recession right like yes, it was around the world it, it wasn't just like oh some people who, who who gambled heavily lost a bit of money it's like the world went into recession that's your that's your bubble that's that's your right bubble. That, that's right that's right which and but one other thing about the crypto thing and i don't know maybe i've been too subtle about this because it, it it's it's a hard thing to wade into in part because you have the absolute crypto believers that are like absolutists. And on the other hand, you have people that are total skeptics. And then uh, there's also my I, I, my sense that we're in a bubble phase, which is, again, not a bad thing. Like the, the, you go back to the dot-com era, mm. the bubble is critical. It was the bubble that funded the build-out 
of all the fiber in the U.S. Like building that out we're all still these relying on. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And it and it created the conditions for the actual deployment phase because and running the final wire to people's houses and people actually having broadband like the bubble funded that. And the fact that companies like WorldCom went under and lost billions and billions of dollars, th- that billions and billions of dollars accrued to society's benefit because mm-hmm. it was actually building out real stuff in the in the real world. Right. right. And so, you know, just the, the extent crypto inspires companies to, to build out wallets and to people to learn to understand this and to be able to, you know, that's where the actual use cases in the long run can be developed. But the, where I've been talking about this is the, the, the challenge with this uh, new era is that the reason why these big companies win is because it's so easy, right? And it makes so much economic sense. If stuff can be centralized, it's just like, you know, Amazon buying all the servers and running all the data centers. It just makes so much more economic sense right and what's been so interesting and i think important about things like amazon kicking off parlor for example or you know people feeling like they're being censored on on social networks is it provides the impetus and motivation (laughs) to do do harder things right right because you start to realize oh there actually is a trade-off to centralization and we need to build something around cryptography, around decentralization, and even though it's harder to use and it's less convenient and it's right. not clear how any of this will work and you try to explain to someone how to, how to do X, Y, or Z, <laughs> and it just it, 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 and everyone's like, oh, where's the, where's the consumer use cases? You need a motivation to build through that. And, and, it, and if the motivation is actually coming from this synergy of the synergy being between government and tech, but it's a dystopian sort of synergy that actually, in some, it, it like completes the story. It's like that's the motivation, the push to sort of build out the the, the new thing. It makes a ton of sense. the The other thing, and the, I mean, and I mentioned it before, but the other thing, I the the revolutionary technology and the technological revolution, and just how you need certain inputs in order to enable it, and it feels to me like there's also this uh, the, the focus that people are having towards green energy and the intensi- the intensity of power required for crypto it just feels to me like these things are starting to converge in a way that also will enable something to take off like these technologies it's they don't exist in isolation they have to work together to build out to build out this new future and it feels like much more so than than necessarily with the the current tech paradigm it feels like that is al- almost like a necessary precondition for taking off and like you start to see in India where you have greenfield solar actually becoming cheaper than greenfield coal like it feels like we're starting to get to a point with what's happening with technology where with green with power and green technology that 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 at the same time that this crypto thing is happening, it feels like they're related. Yeah, I mean, it, but it, to your point, like it's it's hard when you're in the middle. And and yes, mm. you know, there's like new crypto, you know, uh, like proof of stake and stuff like that that is much more more efficient. But uh, but to your point, I think there's like the the current power crisis. You know, I think uh, you see a, a pivot in more and more countries back to like nuclear, for example, which. Uh, it's fantastic from my perspective, and uh, like I don't know, like I, 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 it's it's hard to say because there's also the danger of like 
try and like overfit, right? And mm. and say all these things sort of fit together. But I mean, I guess that's that's sort of that's sort of part and parcel with the job. I guess the, the thing that here here's the the thing that I come back to. There was um. Perez was on a again. This is why she's awesome. She was at this like roundtable or, or discussion with Coinbase uh, or Coin, CoinDesk, um, and you know was being pushed pushed on on some of these things because again, crypto is very heavily invested in mm-hmm. the old paradigm. Is you know in its maturity phase, this is the new paradigm, uh, and and you know she disagrees. Um, but one of the th- questions that was asked of her, and this is sort of very far afield, was like, do you think that the nation state is is going anywhere like the way we sort of fundamentally organize her, her themselves and and she was quite certain that no it's not it's not it's not going anywhere and it, it's it's very I, I i mean not to, again this is we're very very far afield here but you know i've written about you know i think we've talked about in this podcast the internet being like the printing press and you go back to the printing press and when the printing press came along, we did not have nation states. We had the city states under the overall auspices of the of, of the Catholic Church, just to you know sort of focus on Europe. And what did the printing press do? The printing press sort of to get economies of scale, you would you would want to print in like the largest, most widely mm. spoken sort of dialect, and people wanted to read stuff that was that, that, that was produced and in, it actually like it all tied together where okay the you know it's there's all these germanic languages we're going to focus on this particular one and, and suddenly everyone learns that and understands it maybe they speak something different in day-to-day life but when they, when they want to read books this is what it's available in and you start the formation of these language centric sort of nation states that that, that that sort of you know again it's a decades, centuries long process. I mean, Germany wasn't even like fully formed until, until several dec- you know centuries later. But it, it did transform society. It transformed how we organize ourselves at a really, really fundamental level. And if the transformative outcome of the printing press was basically zero marginal cost for the distribution again, the the the, the, the consumption of information, yeah. the internet is about the production of information. Anyone can publish. Printing presses are free. It's literally just walk up to Facebook and type something. It it seems in the long run to think this won't really transform things. That seems like more of a risky bet than saying it than saying it will. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the natural extension of filter bubbles and people being at each other's throats because they don't agree. Uh, like people just being unable to see eye to eye, like there's a, a further sorting that naturally takes place where, okay, um, and, and I mean, to a certain extent, you start to see it. It's like if you believe in this, you go live here. And if you believe in that, you go live somewhere else. And if you happen to be born into one of the places where you don't fundamentally agree with with the belief system that's around you, uh, I mean, to some extent, Sure, maybe your mind gets changed as you grow up, but then there are other people who are just like, "Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I'm going to move somewhere else." And you, you keep playing that out. You, you can start to see what you're driving at with that statement. Or, but there's another interpretation, and in, where everything becomes virtual, right? Like you actually, like all the, the there's a very, and this kind of gets back to the the further manifestation of the work from home revolution, where actually everything meaningful becomes 
online or becomes, you know, in VR or whatever it might be. And there's a very clear separation between meeting and addressing our physical needs and meeting and addressing our mm. sort of intellectual and, 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 and philosophical needs and predilections. Uh, I, I mean, I, and in which case the, you know, the, the, the nation state remains as sort of a shell of, of, you know, goods and services, but the, the actual, like where you find meaning and your communities are just really transformatively different in the virtual space. It's interesting to think about whether that would take place, whether such a sorting would happen, but people would be happy to eventually, and they have to eventually disconnect or eventually pay taxes or eventually be subject to the laws. Like you said, like there, there are wires somewhere. Um, Yep. Uh, and uh, just just limit it there and not take it back down into take it from the bits back down to the atoms. My my sense is like observing people right now, they certainly that more and more they're living in bits, but more and more we're feeling the effects in atoms. Well, but that's why and that's why the, the crypto question, I think, is really, really interesting. And it's actually not it's not clear which one it is. Is it something that is a techno or revolutionary technology that ex- mm. that extends the IT era or mm. is it something new and I, I think this is kind of the question because the, part of the idea of encryption and the idea of you know there being scarcity and you better control your resources is it actually does make it more plausible to to have this separation where the virtual actually really is distinct and separate from the physical it, be, it because it's behind encryption and you you think about how the experience of social media has changed over the last decade where Twitter is really just a place to sort of survey the land and, and, and see what's going on. It's not a place to build community at all. It's, mm-hmm. it's a place to get mad uh, at, at other people. And what you actually do is you find tweets and then you paste them into your WhatsApp chat or chat or your signal chat with the mm-hmm. people you actually trust and you actually want to build connections with. And you maybe don't necessarily need or want to live together because you're living together online yeah uh, you know in, in, in that case it, it sort of fits with this with this model we're only getting into the deployment as opposed to it being actually no it's all interconnected and it's all going to change mm. <laughs> mm. It, it 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 uh can't help but make me think of the uh is it eight years that we've now been doing this as a result yeah it's, it's well, there's, like, there's, one, there's one more point. There's one more interesting point. I mentioned we wanted to park this before, but hmm. is technology good or bad? Is the internet good or bad? Is crypto good or bad? I, I got some gruff online before for saying, you know, maybe the internet is not so great. Like, and this comes back to your point, you know, maybe, you know, living technology revolutions aren't so great. And I think that the position I've always had. And I, I still think it's true. Is it's it's sort of amoral, right? It's it's not mm. it's not normative. It's it, it is right. what we make of it. And I think that's definitely still true. I do think there's something to be said for there. Actually, is value. It's one thing for for us as analysts to sit on the side and say, "Well, you know, it's all, all what you make of it." There is some value, I think, to those building it to believe in its goodness and. It's something we've kind of been critical of Facebook of, like, of, they, of course, they believe that connecting the world is, is a good thing and that gives them blind spots. And that's all true. But the reality is, is technology is not just sort of a moral. It's a fact on the ground. 
Like we we are hurtling forward. And it doesn't do any good to look back and say what was or is or isn't or whatever, because we're not, we can't go backwards. Mm. And if we're going to build something important and meaningful, there is some aspect you have to believe it to build it. Like, 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 and yes, there's going to be bad things that come on the way, but you can become so paralyzed in, in you know, in well, as good as a bad that, that that bad actors actually do come along and build it first, right? I think. Believing in the goodness of your mission is underrated, perhaps by you and I. Like, like it's not that's not to deny there are blind spots, but it's easy to get too cute about it and to say, "Well, we're sitting here on the side and observing, and saying, well, you should have thought more about that.'" But then, if you thought more about it, you might have never built it in the first place. I, it's it's so funny you say that because um, if there's one th- if there's one thing that I mean, that's part of the reason why I came here and here being Silicon Valley and now Silicon Valley is quote unquote virtual, but that's part of the reason why I came in the first place because I fundamentally believed in the good of of what it was that was being accomplished. And I, it was like part of my fascination with Apple all along. It was part of the frustration I had with Facebook all along Um and it's not to say they didn't think their mission was good. It just felt to me from the outside that that wasn't important enough. And and to bring it to now, it's like part of the reason that it's one of the things I love the most about Cloudflare is it's it's mission driven. There's a deep belief in what in in the approach and the goodness of what's being done. So uh, I, I hear you. Um, and maybe this is like a little bit of the distinction between uh, analyst and like. I'm also, I have another hat, which, yes, is partly the reason we don't record for everyone who wants to direct. <laughs> it's not just my fault. At ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's mine too. I have a day job and I definitely, what you just said resonates deeply with me. It's like, it, it, you've you've got to believe it and you want to believe it to be good. And I feel like you need to hold that to a high standard because if it's, uh, that belief it necessitates it's not window dressing like it, it's got to really be the case and that was yeah. part of my deep frustration with facebook tech well tech's hard it's hard to build mm. this stuff like there's a reason why it takes decades for these early visions to be substantiated right like i mean people you know people use we make critics uh we criticize people on the outside all the time like oh you like oh just flip a switch just do this like as if this is all trivial like it, it's <laughs> it's it's hard and you need a drive and you need a belief to to do that and, and and this is all in the broader context where we have no choice but to go forward like there's value in believing in the inherent good of like building of building something new again it's one thing to be the critic sitting on the side and do weigh carefully the pros and cons but given the like we're on a net, we're on a moving walkway right and like we're hurtling towards the future whether you like stopping. it or not and the other thing too and you made this point before so i'm going to kind of echo echo your point is it's so easy to get stuck in the the elite upper class we can work from anywhere. We make a lot of money view of the world and forget about the fact that that's not the experience of the vast majority of people. Mm. It, it's one thing to look back and think, oh, look wistfully towards everyone believing the same general thing. And we all agree on the same facts, which were, by the way, furnished by the big media companies, uh, you know, manufactured consent to use the, the Nojansky term. Uh, mm. And to forget about the fact that the, the world is drastically better for the vast majority of people than it ever was before. And yeah, maybe the, those folks, you know, 
have low blood pressure, but a lot of people, a lot fewer people today are living in like soul crushing and life destroying poverty than they were previously. And and, and, like, like the industrial revolution and its impact on overall human welfare has been dramatic. And, And, and it's easy to, to lose sight of that when you're sort of stuck in high class problems as it were. Totally. Totally. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, so Shekri, I, I'm actually uh, re- reducing my schedule. I think probably most mm. people listening may know that. In part because when stuff was happening with the big companies every day, there's always something to write about. It, and, and there's always something to write about in a way that could rely more on just analysis and maybe less on research. Like uh, some some posts would take a lot of research. Other ones are like, oh, well, here's the framework of how to think about this sort of thing. And that that framework is like, again, it's it's sort of set, right? Like I kind of, if I already know what I'm going to write, a lot of my readers already know what I'm going to write. And mm-hmm. I think there's, uh, I felt like it's t- it was time to sort of step back a little and take a little more time and not still write about the big five tech companies, but when it's it's important and meaningful and less about when, you know, there's a new product Congress. launched and it's kind of like the last product and, uh, you yeah. know, here's, here's the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And less, yeah. The government regulation thing, man. I mean, yeah, on one no, hand, I, I feel you. It's important and I know people listen, but oh, it's soul crushing. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. No, totally. And I mean, uh, and the flip side here is like uh, maybe zoning out a little bit uh, on some of the topics and um, maybe that's a good excuse for both of us to equally, not entirely on you, equally get uh, uh, kicks to our backside to record a little bit more. No promises, but we will see. I think mm. I think that, uh, that, is, that is a possibility. Yes, but uh, we, we're still here. It's not dead. Sorry, sorry for the month-long hiatus. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. Theoretically, because it's RSS, it should be fine. It'll just show people's players. Uh, unfortunately, given our audience, we're mi- we're likely to have the extremely like alien to folks that don't want a dead feed in their player. They're just constantly mm. cleaning it out, and then, but oh well, they're lost. Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoy the conversations, and that's why we started originally. It's just like this is a fun thing to talk about, and feels like we're learning something new every time. So that's as yep. good a reason as any to keep going. Yeah, and this was fun. It was sounds good. Well, I will. I will talk to you. Uh, I think sooner rather than later. That sounds like a plan. Good to chat. All right, bye bye. See you, mate.